Hello and welcome to the glorious return of the Buckle Bomb Show, episode 11. Yes, 11. There is a 10, but it's you can't find it. Anyways, uh, welcome to the return of the Buckle Bomb Show here on Bomb Media Productions. I'm your host, Bobby, and I am so happy to be here to talk professional wrestling with all of you glorious people. I am joined, as always, by my broadcast partner, Anthony Roan. Tony, how you doing, buddy? God damn, does it feel good. Feels good to be back in front of all your faces, gazed upon us. Like Bobby said, it is glorious for episode 11 or 10B, depending on how you want to count it. Yeah, for uh, for the last episode, for the two of you that regularly watch, um, uh, you might have only seen episode 9 and wondering why what we're talking about at 10. We did film... It was three hours. It was our longest episode in episode 10. Um, and there was no audio. I didn't realize this. I had uploaded it to YouTube and everything. And there was no audio for Tony. So and this was this was the big post, you know, Sasha and Naomi leaving episode. And there was no... And we talked about it for about... That subject alone for about 45 minutes. And there was no audio. It was just me speaking by myself about the thing. It's still up on YouTube. It's unlisted, but it is a part of the uh, Buckle Bomb Show playlist. So you can still find it if you're curious and you want to hear what I think and watch Tony's mouth move a little bit. Um, it is up and you can find it, but it is unlisted. Um, but this episode, I've done tests and everything's fine. We should be good. I, we, I was down for a little bit. I had computer issues. I've got a brand new computer now. Everything should be running perfectly. So we are going to start. Oop, wrong screen there. We are going to start here today. We're just going to talk about, I mean, I don't know. We picked kind of a good time to have a hiatus, I think, because it's nothing not really like happened. nothing world-shaking happened, right? I mean, uh, you know, unless you want to talk about, I guess we can talk about those Wall Street Journal um, stories. I don't know if they're that big, though. I mean, I mean, if you want to, Wall Street Journal's kind of irrelevant. I mean, I feel like that's just like a Wall Street insider newspaper. Like, I don't know how it affect us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has no, doesn't really do anything for wrestling. It's not gonna, you know, turn the world upside down or everything. Um, wow. Yeah, what a time to be a wrestling fan right now. Vince McMahon has retired. As chairman and CEO from the WWE, he is no longer the guy in charge, uh, at least officially. Um, and it seems to be true. He's not even pulling any strings, you know, through family members like some people might have thought. At least the way things have been going on TV so far. Um, this came about through a couple of uh, Wall Street Journal stories. Um, it's rumored that there's still another one on the way, though we'll see. It hasn't happened yet. Um, that was It's been a couple of weeks, uh, and, and it hasn't happened. So, um, But these stories were about um, some sexual misconduct, um, Vince having some relations with employees. Um, one of them in particular, perhaps getting a promotion and a huge raise, doubling her salary that maybe wasn't legit and then of course all the NDAs 12 million dollars over the last uh, several years 
uh, paid out and women that he's had sexual relationships with within the company. Um, first off, what are your thoughts on the Wall Street Journal um, stories? And then what are your thoughts? And then we'll get to uh, what this means for WWE in a little bit later on. Well, before I get into the journal itself, um, I was convinced that there was going to be two things that would outlive the entire world. Cockroaches and Vince McMahon. This dude survived a damning steroid trial. This dude survived so many scandals and cover-ups. I thought literally nothing would ever be able to take him out, and I thought that he would still be running World Wrestling Entertainment long after I was gone. Yet here we are. Articles come out, like you mentioned, Wall Street Journal. And uh, wow, what an eye-opening and disgusting culture it was behind the scenes of WWE that nobody really knew about. Um, well, I can't really say nobody because, you know, shoot interviews, there was always people that alluded to things. Um, I think with those allusions or being alluded to things, you have to take that with grains of salt because at the time it was appearing like maybe scolded former employees of WWE. And uh, now you actually see what it's for and crazy enough coming out in Wall Street Journal that has a very proven track record of getting their stories correct. So it kind of makes you wonder who on the inside gave up all this information. Yeah, and we have talked about that as all this was going on. You and I would text and I would tell you, well, you know, it's probably... Uh, the board itself giving some information or at least someone on the board giving information to the Wall Street Journal um, once at least once some of the allegations were public and um, or that they knew that this story was being worked on the first one by the Wall Street Journal because they're gonna reach out to the w excuse me to the WWE and and reach out for comment from them so they knew that this story was coming so at a certain point hey we got to prepare for this and that's where where stephanie went on her leave of absence and some other stuff it's like oh they knew this was coming stephanie took a step away and took a little vacation before she knew she was gonna have to you know really step into a ceo role a, a interim ceo ceo role before now becoming the co uh ceo with uh con but as far as the allegations themselves and you brought up culture and there's always been it's always been talked about about a toxic culture within the locker room of wwe a very old school and old-fashioned you know locker room mentality uh in 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 a wrestling locker room mentality especially you know kind of the old old boys club kind of deal and you know a very political environment and you know that was always very toxic it seemed to improve a little bit over time um certainly there weren't as many drugs running around today as there were back in the day but but as far as Vince himself, and yeah, when you when you talk about shoot interviews, and you know wrestlers that aren't working for them anymore, and maybe are disgruntled, or even if they're not disgruntled, there's always usually some sort of angle of wrestlers 
they're wrestlers, especially, you know, older wrestlers, even in a shoot interview, you know, they still might be trying to play an angle here or there or try to get something from someone. And, you know, you always got to take what they say with a grain of salt. On the other hand, and plus you hear so many people talk about their relationship with Vince and how he's almost like a father figure. He's crazy and he's out there, but at the same time, he's a good dude for the most part. You know, maybe not living in reality sometimes, but a good dude. And, you know, he takes care of his people for the most part. And, you know, he's he was like a father figure to me. Even some of the women have said that. Um, we got that from Paige recently in a, po- in a, in a social media post. But, you know, there is always that sort of, you know, sometimes the darker side of some of the things you would hear. Um, you know, and Vince has always been to fans a bit of an enigma. And we always want to hear more about who the real guy is. And, you know, it always, you don't get a whole lot about him. Because he, he doesn't want to be in front of the camera a lot. Like for the Hall of Fame, you know, real famously. And he likes being on TV and being the Mr. McMahon character. But because that character is all we really see of him publicly, I think sometimes the two would get conflated. But obviously there are some serious issues here that forced him to step down. Um, So what do you think, speaking... Specifically to uh, Vince here, or 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 Vince here and the culture, because we've talked about this a little bit on the live stream for SummerSlam, and CM Punk uh, was very, it was like, oh, nothing's gonna change, and meanwhile, as fans, we're all like, oh my god, look at the changes already happening, but I think there's that there are two different conversations. And, and we'll get into what the WWE is going to look like here in our next topic. Um, but behind the scenes that, that Punk was talking about, the culture of WWE, um, do you think that's going to change? Because I think, I think where Punk's like, no, it's not going to change because it's, it's Triple H in charge of the locker room still. And him and Triple H have a lot of beef. And he was, yeah. Triple H was... The game. He was a master at playing that political game. And within that toxic culture of the wrestling locker room. Do you think that can change and get better with Vince gone? Or do you think that can still... Or do you think there'll still be issues there? Do you think Punk's right as far as the back... The locker room culture? I think that we've been seeing the locker room culture in professional wrestling as a whole. Not just WWE changing over probably the last five to six years. I mean, you have Undertaker going on Joe Rogan and discussing how he doesn't really have that belief that professional wrestlers are these big, tough sons of bitches anymore, and that's because of what the locker room culture is now. With that being said, I'm not saying The Undertaker was necessarily right with that, but, you know, Video games in the locker room wasn't a thing. Uh, trying to be politically correct wasn't such a big thing in the locker room back in the Undertaker's heyday. Uh, a lot of these changes have been taking place already, but I think with more of a leadership role that the triad, who I lovingly 
referred to Nick Khan, Stephanie, and Triple H as uh, now running the show. I, I think CM Punk couldn't be more wrong about the culture. You have to keep in mind, how long's it been since Punk's been in a WWE locker room? You're right there, and and certainly there have been some, at least some, face value changes. People apparently can get time off a little bit, little bit easier now, a thing that he couldn't do, and and other changes that I, I think have sort of been forced on them um, as a publicly traded company. But there's still, you know, and certainly, like I said, and you're right, like, there isn't a drug culture in the locker room anymore. It's more of a video game culture. But there's still a lot of politics. There's still a lot of, well, you know, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm injured. Do I really want to take time off to heal this injury? Because I might get punished. You know, that sort of thing. You know, can we see that still happen? Because Triple H was very much a part of that world. Or do you think they're going to push things forward when it comes to things like that? Well, if I do recall correctly, and I could be completely wrong, and if I am, please correct me. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Triple H that was spearheading a lot of the stuff with NXT when it came to uh, brain injuries. And yeah. I think now in, tw- now in 2022, we know so much more about medicine than what we actually did even 20 years ago, believe it or not. We were making advancements in medical, uh, we're making medical advancements every week, it seems like now. Um, So the culture of being afraid of losing your spot due to an injury, I think has gone out the window. I mean, we've seen this most recently with, you know, not to give away too much, but Bailey coming back and seemingly jumping right back into the main event picture. so I don't think any of those issues are going to persist. I legitimately think that that's going to be one of the major changes for the better. Okay. All right. I, I, I think there will be some changes. I think it will be when it comes to locker room culture, that can take a while to shift some things. Um, it's just a slow-moving beast. I think it will trend for the better and better over time. Um, but we'll go ahead and talk about – WWE in front of the cameras and business-wise, not not the locker room, uh, in a post-Vince McMahon world. And wow, is that a crazy thing. Like you said, I thought he'd live to be at least 120 and he'd still be sitting in Gorilla, you know, screaming at the announcers. But here we are in a post-Vince McMahon WWE. Uh, what do you think the future holds for the product, what changes, what doesn't. We've already seen some things. Of course, right now there's a lot of excitement because of what's happening. And so obviously they're going to try and push some things and make sure you see, hey, this is going to be better now and try and grab a few more eyeballs and keep them. What do you think is going to happen going forward for the product? Well, I think in terms of product, uh, let's face it. SummerSlam was the changing of the guard, per se, from the Vince McMahon regime to the triad regime. Um, One of the last remnants of the Vince McMahon era, in my opinion, was the Miz, tiny balls, my balls are massive. That's something that would have Vince and Gorilla pop and saying, that's good shit, pal. 
Um, but the change of the guard then went to the main event of SummerSlam when you saw a last-man standing match between Brock and Roman. Uh, that had the fingerprints of Triple H all over it. If you think back to the old NXT takeovers in the black and gold days, when Ciampa and Johnny Gargano were having those incredible best two out of three falls matches. So I think going forward, we have a lot to look forward to. And if you would have asked me this question a month ago, I would have had the same ho-drum feeling about WWE. You know, as well as I know, I had such a hard time getting any interest in the Raw or SmackDown. You and me have had conversations and privacy of text, man, yeah. turning off the volume on Mondays and Friday nights and just drinking through. It's a lot more palatable. I would, I would go to the bar to watch Raw with my buddy and we'd sit there drinking and we'd have it turned on one of the TV and there's no sound. So it was, and hey, this is, you know, you're getting drunk and there are distractions for when, you know, something stupid happens. You're having fun and whatever. And then you go back to watching and something good happens and you're a little drunk. So it's, maybe it's not good, but it seems better than it actually is. So that was kind of my favorite way to watch Raw. Um, I, um, as far as the future of WWE... There was, I was listening to, uh, and I don't know if you did, um, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff last week, and they just did a whole show about what he thinks, what they think uh, the future of WWE will look like. And he had some really interesting comments. I think I, I sent you an actual quote, uh, part of what he said. But he talked about, because he's one of the people who's been there pretty recently, even if it was just for three or four months, back, but it was back in 2019, I think, when he was a big part of that creative in WWE and knows pretty much the modern-day process, and he didn't survive in it, clearly, but he could speak on it a little bit, probably better than anyone who's not a part of the company right now. And it was... You know, it was great because he would talk about how they would have these intercourse with Vince. You know, you've got to be prepared to take a call at three thirty, four in the morning. And if you're not from a dead sleep to on the phone with Vince, immediately prepared to talk about any little piece of the show that's been written so far, of, say, Raw on a Monday and it's Saturday night and he's calling you at 3.30, you have to be on your game. And know what the fuck he's talking about, and what part of the show he's talking about, or you know, it's not going to be a fun morning when you walk into the office. So, and you know, obviously you'd have a show written, and he talked about this. You'd have a show written, but there might be elements that you need approval from Vince McMahon from, and who knows when you're going to be able to get a hold of him. It may not be until 10, 11 o'clock at night, if not later. And so now you're kind of sitting there twiddling your thumbs all day long because you can't move forward without this piece because if something needs to change with this or something's different with this, and it probably will be with Vince, then any work you do to move past that is going to all be gone anyway and all for nothing. Excuse me. So... And then, of course, you'd finally have 
you know, Monday morning, it looks like you finally got a show ready and come, you know, three, four, five in the evening, you know, a couple hours before showtime and suddenly, you know, half the show's been scrapped on a whim by Vince. And suddenly you're scrambling Which, to put things back together. And and that was go into that was dirt sheets are oh, go, go ahead. ahead man. That was that was what Eric was like there are a lot of talented people there putting the show together and they would have some good ideas and Vince would had would have great ideas too and was obviously that but he was so busy and he was such a machine and an animal and expected everyone below him to be that and then also just loved to muck things up it seemed it almost felt like that the process was just killer for on everyone else and really probably um, downgraded the level of creative overall and it was the process with him in charge with Vince in charge and he feels like that process and it was that was affecting everybody that would affect Triple H that would affect Stephanie that would affect Kevin Dunn and Bruce Pritchard and Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff in 2019 and everyone that was in creative they were all part of that you know of that bad creative process and had to suffer through it that's what i think can change here and will change i think the creative process will be smoother which will lead to some of the boys and girls getting you know knowing what's happening ahead of time a little more you'll be able to plan things out a little more long term so I think overall the creative will be better. What, what do you think about uh, these comments by Eric Bischoff? Like you said, you know, Eric's been there more recently than a lot of people are commenting on it. Um, I think there is one thing, though, that you miss. I don't know if you were able to see it this week or not because of how busy you've been getting the show put back together. Thank you for that, by the way. Um but it's also being reported that for the last year, Vince McMahon has been struggling with a form of dementia, it may seem. Uh, this could have something, if any truth to it, it could be why there's so many rewrites or him forgetting about what he's already done in the previous weeks. Uh, on top of that, too, you know, you have somebody like uh, Triple H or uh, Nick Khan, who's now spearhead of the company, who admittedly in the past do watch other products do check social media to see what fans are talking about they're going to have their finger a little bit more on the pulse of what's what's loved in professional wrestling right now uh maybe instead of doing the same stale storylines that are just beat to death over and over and over again we may get some new fresh things uh as far as creative though and I don't know if you want to jump ahead to this yet or not. I think the one thing that I'm most excited for is the potential to see who's going to be coming back to the company now that Vince is gone. We saw that Friday with the return of Karrion Cross. I still call him Killer Cross. Can't take him. Can't take the man seriously with hair. Just I can't. It's offensive to me as a I bald hate, man who can't I, grow hair. I thought he looked good, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah. But you want to talk about yeah. a way to make an impact. There was that split second when he did make his debut where... Or re-debut, I should say. Where the crowd wasn't sure how to react to it. Uh, the theme song 
Lady Scarlet standing at the top of the ramp. It seemed like there was some hesitation to believe what was going on was actually going on. And then when he took out uh, Drew McIntyre from behind and you realize, holy shit, he's back. I think, and he got a huge pop, by the way. I don't know if you saw after he took out Drew McIntyre. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is just going to be me feeling this way or not. But I feel like this could be the start of the floodgates opening back up and people from NXT who were over like Rover down there coming back into the fold on the main roster. Right. I, uh, as far as the returns and all that, obviously, it's interesting. A lot of the blame in the sheets and with fans on a lot of the releases over the last couple of years, was placed at the feet of Nick Khan, who's now been promoted to co-CEO with Stephanie. But we have uh, Paul Levesque as the lead in talent relations, which is responsible more directly for hiring and firing people. Uh, And obviously some of the people, a lot of these people that were let go were people that Triple H obviously really liked, like a cross, like a Dakota Kai, um, things that we're seeing happen and people returning. And there's already, there was a report yesterday that, hey, this isn't the last one. You know, Triple H is reaching out to a few people uh, to try and get them to come back. It's unfortunate that, you know, a lot of the people that are gone, like Adam Cole and Cesaro and, and some of the other uh, people that are in AEW right now, they have like five-year deals with AEW. So, you know, they kind of slipped through WWE's fingers as far as Triple H, I think, is concerned. And now they're gone for a long time. Um, but there's a few of them, like a Karrion Cross, like perhaps a Wyndham Rotunda, who aren't anywhere yet. And I know that makes you giddy. Um, no. No. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but that whole It Begins Again YouTube page has really shown its card for me when it came to that whole edge and window were supposed to be a thing at SummerSlam. And that my expectations to ever see a Fiend wrestling character again are slim to none. And I'm turning a new page. I want to focus on what's tangible and in front of me. If Wyndham comes back, if Bray Wyatt um, comes back, you don't think he'll be the fiend? Because I can oh, see no, that no. I can see them being I can see it being the fiend, but then moving forward as something else too. Because Bray's, an from everything we have heard, Wyndham is an a crazy, uh, creative person, and now perhaps if he were to come back to WWE and some of the some of the strings will be cut off of him, and he'd be able to to experiment even more. Do you think he comes up with something different from The Fiend? Or do you think he would return to The Fiend and turn the volume up a little bit? What do you think happens if he were to return? If he were to return, it would be still The Fiend mixed with the Firefly Funhouse. Uh, But I just think we see it get turned up to 11. Uh, You know, as falsely reported a few weeks back, WWE was supposed to make that change to TV 14. And then it was later released that it was a premature release just to try and get the sponsors prepared for what was about to happen. Uh, 
you now see this more on a weekly basis with the language being used by people on commentary and the wrestlers themselves. Uh, you bring the fiend back in with a TV 14 rating and no strings attached. You let him be the creative man that he is. And we're obvious. We're honestly going to see a level of paranormal in WWE that is going to rival what the ministry was in the late nineties. As far as the, the TV 14 versus PG thing, I think that's a little bit, um, overhyped. Um, even if they go TV 14 on USA and maybe even on Fox, um, which is a, which is another step because that's broadcast TV, eight o'clock. But even if they go TV 14, it's not like, you know, there are a lot of fans that are rejoicing. Oh, I can't wait for that to happen. You know, the Attitude Era will be back. And it's like, no, 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 no. First off, publicly traded company now. Yeah. You've got to be mindful still of things. You're not going to, there's no, no going to be, there's not going to be bra and panties matches. There's not going to be. You know, choppy, choppy, my PP. There's not going to be <laughs> well, a lot of crazier nobody... stuff. And I, yeah, and I don't know that anyone's necessarily expecting that far. But I also think, oh, TV 14 is going to be a, a an instantly a better product. And to me, it's like, no, you still have to have better creative overall. Just being allowed to say shit every once in a while isn't going to make the product better. But you are going to be able to bring in the occasional more adult theme into a story that can that can help a story along. Um, you might, you know, if and again, we're still talking about a publicly traded company. So, you know, do we introduce the occasional blood? I, I don't see WWE ever going back to blading. I just don't think no, that'll ever happen. They're not going to go back to blading, obviously. Um, but with a more adult-oriented limit that you can push, it is going to be good for the characters like, let's say, the Fiend if he does return. As right. far as the spot, as far as sponsors are concerned, especially if it were to happen on Fox, what do you think the most popular day in Fox programming is? NFL Sunday, where you have leading off from the final four o'clock. NFL game leads right into a TV 14 family guy that loves to push the limits that do way more offensive stuff, in my opinion, than what the WWE ever did in the Attitude Era. Right. It It's weird because we've certainly gotten more open about certain things and closed off about others. But I, I think in a good way. Like, yeah. bra and panties matches don't need to be a thing. And nobody's lamenting for that to come back. No, we no. We live in a different but, culture now than what we did back in the late But 90s. But that was acceptable then and not acceptable now yeah. for good reason. But there are other things that are acceptable now that maybe weren't then. Um, and, you know, things in culture are shifting, I think, for the better for the most part. Um, let's see. Where, where else can we go from here? What what do you think? Do you think long term plans will get better? Do you think we'll start seeing? Do you think maybe they're already talking about WrestleMania made events and 
for this year, for this coming WrestleMania. And you know Vince always has an idea, but that usually shifts by Royal Rumble. What do you think? Do you think they're going to have more plans set in stone? You know, barring the injury bug. Do you, do you think they'll have stuff like that? They'll have things laid out? I would like to hope so. Um, you yeah. know, saying that they do right now is obviously not It's still early, yeah. You got to remember, they're still dealing with the shock of just having this entire company dumped in their laps. Um, and you still have Triple H out there pounding the concrete trying to get former performers to come back underneath a good faith. Um, starting with throwing out the old Vince McMahon book of words. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Yeah. They're, see, they, said hospital. they said hospital. They said hospital. They said strap. They're saying wrestler again, damn it. They're wrestlers again. Um, so yeah, a lot of good faith is taking place now, but as far as long-term storytelling, I mean, whether or not you want to believe that Vince McMahon was ever in Roger Goodell's ear, they've been building the Happy Corbin and Pat McAfee storyline for some amount of years now. I mean, <laughs> but seriously, though, I, I think when you look around at what's really popular within wrestling today and you check the internet wrestling community via Twitter, one complaint that everybody constantly has is long-term storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to see long-term storytelling more and perfect example of the setup for long-term storytelling. Uh, Friday Night Smackdown, you had Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin, and they're still setting something up for the future down the line. Yeah. You have a, a bunch of variables of, you know, long-term storytelling is going to have to take place now that we have this Becky Lynch injury. You know, because it was obviously the big thing was to see Becky Lynch clash against uh, Bailey. So I, I feel like WWE's kind of put themselves in this position now to where they're forced to go into a long-term storytelling. Well, and I think that's always the goal is to kind of know where you're going so that when you get down to an individual show you have a goal in mind that maybe it's half a year away, but you know where you're going and you can kind of piece things together and know, you know, where to slide the puzzle pieces um, creatively. Um, so about these returns, let's get into, we, we talked about the potential for Bray. Let's talk about the ones that already happened. We, we dove into a little bit uh, with uh, Karrion Cross as well and Scarlet. But what about um, uh, Dakota Kai and this uh, Bailey stable? What do you what do you see happen here in EO Sky, which was a name change? But I actually like this name change. It doesn't really change the name too much. It just kind of simplifies it. Well, as you know, uh, EO Sky was allegedly unhappy within WWE. She was looking mm -hmm. to go back to Japan. Uh, now that Triple H is more involved. Apparently, he was able to talk her into an extension. Uh, Dakota Kai was somebody I was actually really looking forward to see her go to maybe Impact and compete in the stacked Impact Women's Division. Because, my God, if you want to talk about a women's evolution right now, that's Impact. Um, Impact's got some good stuff in the women women's division going on right now. With, with Jordan Grace at the top right now, yep. champ. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
and you know, let's face it, Dakota Kai versus Deanna Prazo is just one of those matches that, for me at least, is would be a barn burner. But you've enticed her to come back signing a deal, and now you have her in a three-woman stable with Bailey, which the role model gimmick originally for me was very irritating. And now you have her in this role model gimmick as she is molding these younger women to be the apex predators of the women's division. It's it's exciting. Yeah. There has never been a more exciting time in recent history to be a WWE fan. Uh, I'm really jolted up about all of this right now because the women's division, I feel like, is actually going to start getting the respect it deserves Granted, we had WWE have their, you know, respect to the women's division. But I don't think it was sincere back then. I think it was because you had a Ronda Rousey and you had a Becky Lynch and a Charlotte Flair who were constantly burning it down every of every match they had. They put WWE in a weird position where not only were people vocal about it, but you had three great talents, one who was on a mainstream level that you had to shine a spotlight onto. Now that you actually have people in charge who give a shit about professional wrestling, not entertainment, professional wrestling, we're actually going to get to a point where we're starting to see the best of the best again. Perfect example was Sunday at SummerSlam. Yeah. And I know we were, we were, I was drinking Monday night and I was, Texting you a lot during Raw. And me watching Raw drunk. Um, and when... And I was texting you a lot about the the, the trio there. Bailey and... Uh, and, I, and I was like... I compared them to the NWO. I said, give them heat. Book heat. Kevin Sullivan book heat. Like, they should, they should just plow through everyone. Cheat to do it. But... They had that uh, six woman tag at the end. They are that they had a match. Excuse me, um, between uh, oh, who was it? It was it was EO. Uh, it was EO and Oscar, right? Yep. And it, and I'm like, Oscar cannot go over here. EO has to cheat to win, or it has to be a no contest. And sure enough, it ended up being a no contest. And I was thrilled. Like book heat, and you can build to a to a Bailey and Becky WrestleMania main event. Just keep don't let Becky get over, don't let Bianca get over. Every you can I think you're going to have us you know, you can have some sort of six woman tag set up for the clash, I think might be what, ha- what you know, and I Not don't know what's happening. Yeah, uh, now. Becky's Be- Becky's Oh, Becky's not happening, but you legit. had you had Asuka and Alexa. Yes, uh, Alexa. <laughs> How can you forget Plus, Alexa? But, I love Alexa. I'm happy she has a purpose again within the women's division. Just I hope they do a good job at not making Asuka and Alexa's inclusion in this feel force. That's my only little... Yes and no, but I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the Bailey heel team, that they have to be monsters. Oh, yeah. They have to beat the ever-living shit out of the other three women... A lot, I think. And they have to end most shows and every premium live event has to end with them on top. I don't think there's ever a point until WrestleMania. 
until WrestleMania and you get to Becky Bailey. Um, or maybe maybe Bianca Bailey, whichever way they decide to go with it. But but Becky, I think, if we're returning to a face Becky when she heals up that shoulder, you know, she's the man. She's one of the one of if not the biggest star they had in 2018 2019. So I think if you move forward that way, I think that can generate a lot because you get a lot of heat on them and you just want to see someone take these pieces of shit down and so i I hope i hope that's the way they go and we'll see if they continue that on monday i think that's what they were building to last monday and it was amazing i mean so we started off raw with becky in the ring shaking bianca's hand she let everybody know the injury is legit if you go back to the live stream, I even told you it seemed like Becky was kind of favoring that arm a little bit after the match. Uh, then you have her. She's in the whole sling and everything. And not because they needed to. Because you already knew Becky was going to be off TV. But because they wanted to put it in your brain that this is going to be a monster female faction. They used it to get more heat. Beat down. Yep. And it, beautiful, beautiful maneuver. Slight changes. In WWE like that is what's going to keep propelling them to just be must-watch television every week again. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Looking forward to that. All right. Is there anything else uh, you want to talk about WWE's future-wise? or Another thing I wanted to bring up real quick. Verbiage. We alluded to a little bit with Vince's book of band words seemingly being thrown out. But not just amongst the wrestlers. You look at commentary as a whole. One thing you and me constantly gripe about is the commentary seems stale. It seems it's basically word vomit because they're hearing whatever Vince is saying and vomiting it out. And what we're going to get into a little bit, le- we're going to get into a little bit later about how much that's changed. But just certain things that are said or like certain like weird like backhanded compliments that seem like maybe. Inside jokes, if you look, pay attention to backstage news. Things like that. It seems like the commentators are more free and open and actually excited to do their jobs. Granted, this could be just the first week and we have to get through the honeymoon phase and all of that. But it it's making it exciting to see what could potentially be down the line. Certainly, uh, Michael Cole got a lot of praise Excuse me for SummerSlam. And, you know, oh, it was the best Michael Cole we've seen in a while. I've always liked Michael Cole. Certainly when he doesn't have Vince in his ear. And there's been a couple of times that that's happened. He seems to be a lot better. He still has to do, you know, when you're an announcer, a commentator for WWE, there's a lot of shit you have to run through uh, each segment. You just have to be on your game. And he always has been. Um, And that's why he's always been in that chair despite a lot of fan disapproval over the years um he's really good at railing through all the ads and all the spots and all the things and 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 being the producer that he is at that table um but now actually him actually being allowed to say what he wants a little bit more at uh on the mic is uh, is great and i think the same pat apparently pat mcafee's there was never anyone in this year, and he talked about that. Like they just let me go, and that's what made I think that's what made him so great, and that's what made Cole better next to him. Um, and we'll talk more about that 
Um, we'll go ahead and move on. We've got a brand new segment that we're debuting here. It's going to be like a countdown top ten list. Uh, we're calling it The Card. And there'll be a different topic each week. It was kind of fun. I was thinking about maybe doing a segment like this. And then at the same time, Tony came to me and he's like, I want to, I want to talk about the winners and losers of SummerSlam. And I'm like, great. Come up with ten, five winners and five losers. And it'll be the first, uh, first uh, topic for this new segment called The Card. You ready to do this, Tony? Let's do it, brother. All right. This will be a lot of fun. by the Buckle Bomb Show on Bomb Media Productions. We've got Hulk Hogan up over here. We got uh, Jimmy Snuka and Haystacks Calhoun over there. Um, anyone who likes old cartoons knows exactly where this is from. Uh, so we've got our whiteboard here in the locker room set up to write the card down for our winners and our losers. We're going to start with Tony's, and this is all Tony just gave me the list. And other than the list, I don't know what exactly his uh, intentions are or his uh, reasons are for each one on the list. So number ten, uh, this is one. This is one of the winners, and I don't know if this is in any particular order. This isn't worst to best, I don't think. But uh, so one of your winners here for some from slump coming out of SummerSlam uh, is Michael Cole, which we were just talking about. So go ahead and go into why Michael Cole is a winner from SummerSlam. The reason why Michael Cole was a winner at SummerSlam is basically it was a career renaissance for him. Like you made mention of, there's been times in the past where the chains have been cut off of him and he's been allowed to go into business for himself, as they may say. But you could tell Sunday at SummerSlam, it was him being him, probably being fed very little stuff through the earpiece. And his commentary felt re-energized. Re it was a revigoration of Michael Cole, the commentator. And you saw that all night, but times where it shined the most was his back and forth with Pat McAfee during the Pat McAfee and uh, Happy Corbin match uh, with Corey Graves. Uh, the way he interacted with Happy Corbin ringside during the match was something that I haven't seen Michael Cole do in quite some time. It, it just felt good to see Michael Cole back. And during the broadcast, we, realized, we talked about not giving someone their flowers until it's too late. Until uh, maybe it's not appropriate to do that anymore. Michael Cole is somebody who deserves their flowers right now because he is still the top commentator in professional wrestling. I'll agree with that. Um, he really is right now. I believe so. And even before all this stuff with Vince going down, the last uh, six or eight months with on SmackDown with Pat McAfee, as his lone play-by-play -play guy, has upped Cole's game tremendously. Um, certainly, and yeah, during Pat McAfee matches, you see a more emotional Cole. You see a Cole that, that's out there, that's rooting for someone, which is great to see. Um, and, and yet, kind of the opposite. I think we would all agree that the worst form of Cole was heel Cole. 
uh, going into his WrestleMania match. And, and you didn't like the coal that, mine? <laughs> and the coal mine, oh goodness, yeah, and all that stuff. But, I mean, he was good at performing that job, but it was just so annoying on commentary, and we all hated it. Um, but this is this is not that. This was not annoying and over the top. This was, come on, Pat, let's go, you know, and really rooting for his friend, which was great to see, and really pushed and the, the story thing, along. The other thing, too, that was a little bit of a nuance to maybe future changes that we're going to see as SummerSlam's going off the air. They didn't go off the air with the typical, hey, we'll see you Monday for Raw. It was Michael Cole pleading and begging in his headset to get help down here, to get Brock Lesnar out of the rubble. Yeah. Things like that yeah. where Michael Cole was so into it, it made you believe, like, holy shit. Like, and you and me even made a comment about, you know, maybe the announcer table's a little bit heavier than what we thought it was watching the byline try and pick it up and put it up over on Brock and just the guttural screams coming from him. It was kind of hard to watch, admittedly. But just little things like that, Michael Cole. Yeah, and, and Michael Cole sold it. He's like, yeah, get someone out here. Get this crap off of him. You know, he, he got he got us to sympathize with Brock freaking Lesnar. Yeah, that, that was good stuff. All right, so let's go with your first loser from some, coming out of SummerSlam. Wrestling tribalism. So anybody who's watched the Buckle Bomb show knows that wrestle, wrestling tribalism, unfortunately, tends to be a big theme in professional wrestling nowadays. Somewhat even between myself and Bobby. I'm not going to lie, I'm a huge AEW mark, and I would much rather watch some of the independent shows than I would rather watch WWE. But coming out of SummerSlam, whether you're an AEW anti-WWE, or you're just a fucking hipster who likes indie wrestling because you think it's cool. The consensus was all the same, that this is a new day for WWE. It's watchable. It's entertaining. It's exciting. Whether or not, like we said earlier, if this is the honeymoon period or not, the hook was in the water and we all bit down. We were reeled in to what we were going to see on Raw and on SmackDown. And for my money's worth, it didn't disappoint you even had somebody as beautiful and talented as Kat Denning on social media saying, fuck, I think I like WWE now. The days of being one company only hopefully are dead. Rest in peace. Uh, I, I definitely hope so. Now, I, I wouldn't call you and us, or you and me, tribalists. It's not like I'm pro-WWE and anti-AW. I love them both. You know, and I want both of them to succeed. And I think you're the same way. And I want indie wrestling to succeed. I, I think a rising, a rising tide raises all ships. You know, but it's certainly online you get, you know, and a lot of them I think are just trolls. But you get the people that are, and I will disagree with you a little bit here with the tribalism being a loser because those people that are so pro- WWE and anti everything else that are trolling online just got boosted to a certain degree. Like, oh, WWE's so much better, and or so so good now, and AEW sucks, and you know Impact sucks, and there's always going to be division in in everything. There's always going to be tribalism. We're wired for it, but uh, certainly if you're able, I saw a lot of AEW fans going. And real wrestling fans, real fans of the product, not just like, 
they're not AEW fans and WWE haters. They're just wrestling fans who have not been a big fan of the WWE product lately go, hey, I'm enjoying this. And that's great. Yeah. And that's that's what I think you're talking about here. And that's fantastic. And the it may more not wrestling be dead. on TV, the more good wrestling that's out there, the better. It may not be dead going forward, but for one moment in time on Saturday night, when we went to a bar afterwards to just kind of like, holy fuck, we just saw that. The world was in harmony. And everybody agreed on something in professional wrestling. All right. Uh for the next winner, SummerSlam winner coming out, the women's division in WWE. Uh, tell me why this is one of your winners coming out of SummerSlam. Well, one of my winners coming out of SummerSlam being the women's division, you had the return of EO Sarai, now EO Sky. You had the return of Dakota Kai. You had the return of Bailey. These are all things that are going to make the women's division better going forward, especially we talked about so much of here we are getting Bianca and Becky again. Where is the rest of the division? We need help. We need these people to come back. And when you think of the future of the women's division, of everything that's going on SmackDown right now, with your Gigi Dolan, with your uh, Mandy being down there, who could potentially come up and be a factor in the story, and, you know, my one and only Nikita Lyons, the. Women's division's in great hands. I don't know if you noticed or not on SmackDown on Friday night. They announced the tournament for the WWE Women's Tag Team title that is going to start Monday night on Raw. That potentially got the biggest pop of the night from the crowd. Yeah. And now you get the reports of Naomi's coming back and Sasha's coming back. It's exciting times to be Hopefully, a fan of we'll see. the women's division. Uh, a little aside here. I saw Sasha Mercedes. She's at C2E2 today with a couple of AEW stars. And there's a nice picture of uh, her and Danhausen uh, together, which was fun to see. Um, I, I love that Danhausen, despite my better judgment. Um, <laughs> uh I agree with pretty much everything you said here. I think uh, a major win, you know, WWE's women's division, obviously over the last decade or so, a little less, has just grown exponentially and has gotten so good. And now we're seeing maybe what, what we talked about, hopefully a, a heel stable here, a monster heel stable. We can get a lot of heat out of it and really push forward some stories here. Um, so that's, I agree with you there. And another little aside, Tony and I are going to an NXT, uh, show live event in Tampa next month. I, uh, would find it immensely hilarious if, uh, the show before that on SmackDown, out comes Nikita Lyons and she's been brought up and now we don't get to see her live. That would break Tony's heart. My soul would be crushed. My spirit would be gone. I would just be mush in my seat. You're going to be mush in your seat anyway, but especially if she is there. All right. Still uh, got Mandy as a number two, all right? <laughs> right, true. All right, and our next loser coming out of SummerSlam, the injury bug. Now, tell me what you mean. I didn't know where you are going with this. I didn't know if you meant injuries 
the injury bug itself was the loser or if wrestlers getting injured and were losing? Tell me, tell me about this here. What I mean by this is the injury bug, unfortunately, struck again during SummerSlam at a crucial time right. when Becky was going to be needed going forward. She obviously is going back to a face character. Um, she had changed her Twitter name to The Man. She's back to The Man officially again. Uh, the reason why the injury bug's a loser is because, in addition to having Becky now injured, you have Charlotte, who's still on the uh, storyline injury, allegedly. Who we, well, we yeah, that's, she's on her, she's and, been on her honeymoon, and then she was, you know, her father's last match and all that stuff. But uh, I think we'll see her return soon also. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a little bit of a heart attack Friday night when Liv Morgan came out and cut from what I would say is one of her more interesting promos I've ever seen her cut, what being in that full arm brace. Um, even though the women's division is getting a lot of stars back and they have a lot of stars in the making, and like how could I forget Cora Jade down in NXT right now? Um, you need these veterans to also be healthy and in the mix and yeah. kind of showing the way and passing the torch to these younger women coming up through. Yeah, it was kind of, you know, a little bit heartbreaking. We finally get Bailey back, coming back from injury, just as Becky Lynch gets hurt. Obviously, a separated shoulder isn't that bad. She should be back, hopefully, relatively quickly. Um, but, yeah, just the it, wrestling overall, the entry bug in 2022 has been horrific. Um, we just got Brian Danielson back on AEW TV, and hopefully CM Punk will be back within the next month oh. or two. No, you didn't read the news that came out today, did you? No, no. Turns out CM Punk's injury is a lot worse than what they originally suspected. And there is officially now no timetable on Oof. CM Punk's return. Oof. And then, of course, you know, something that popped me on Friday night that I texted you, the Usos came out, or Street Profits came out, my apologies, and said booby on national television when referring to Cody Rhodes. That right. popped me, but unfortunately... He's another one of those guys who has been affected by the injury bug. And the doctors yeah. refuse to give him a timetable return because they're afraid he's going to push it and come back too soon. Yeah, I heard that story. That's <laughs> no surprise there, really, because I, I, we know right now Cody's motivated to really work hard and get back in the ring. And hopefully, hopefully he doesn't overdo it because that'll just end up costing him more time. Um, all right. We'll move on to our next winner, SummerSlam winner, Happy Corbin and The Miz. Uh, Tell me about this one. You know, we had a conversation in one of the first couple Buckle Bomb episodes we did about Sami Zayn. Mm -hmm. The, The wrestler who somehow, despite all odds, has broken the simulation that is WWE to find out how to make himself a mainstay player. Now you move on to people like The Miz and Happy Corbin, who were trusted two professional wrestling outsiders on one card. And somehow string together a match with these two guys. And for what I would think were two of the more entertaining matches on the entire card. You know, despite humidity almost killing Pat McAfee a couple times, 
happy caught him and made sure he didn't break his damn neck. Um, you had the Miz make Logan Paul look like he could potentially be a contender for at least a United States championship someday. I mean, those two guys, they may not always be in the world title picture, but with those two matches on Saturday, it showed why those two guys are crucial to the blueprint fabric that is WWE. Corbin and Miz are always going to be high up on the card because they're great hands. Now, Corbin, I think you could see make a push for the world title someday. Um, is he still, he's still relatively younger and newer to the biz. The Miz, I mean, the Miz is... He's a guy who, over the last decade, you know, maybe you could argue that WrestleMania 27 run, maybe that shouldn't have been him, maybe that should have been Punk, or maybe that should have been someone else. But, you know, since then, he has just grown so much in his value, I think, to WWE. And that's not necessarily as a world champion, but that's as a guy who, yeah, you can throw in... Uh, a Logan Paul or any celebrity, and he's going to make it work. You, not to, not to mention when he actually gets to wrestle another wrestler. So, and he's just fantastic on the mic. You're always going to have good segments, or at least entertainment, entertain. My goodness, entertaining segments with him. Uh, that's going to push the story story. Uh, f- push the story forward. I can't talk today. Uh, but Happy Corbin. I think it's the same. He he does his role well, and he's been saddled with this happy Corbin gimmick and sad Corbin before that, and we've razzed on that a little bit. But hey, it worked. That it worked with the Madcap Moss storyline going into WrestleMania and WrestleMania Backlash. You know, I, I think those that ended up becoming something that we didn't think we were razzing on, but became kind of entertaining for us, and. You know, hopefully Madcap Moss can spin off into something uh, better from that. I agree. They're they're really two guys that are always going to be near the top of the card. And they just come out of this looking good, too. Now, before we move on, I do want to point something out that's sitting here I just thought of. I think we're going to see more of a push for Baron Corbin in the future. Because now that I think about it, Baron Corbin was a Triple H creation in NXT. Could we potentially see the push of a returning, resurging Baron Corbin? I certainly hope so. Are you talking about uh, let it? You know, I don't think he's going to grow his hair back out. But are you talking no. about like putting him back in tights and let? Well, we let him do what he wants to do. Obviously, you know, we're focusing right now on hopefully a lot of the wrestlers getting more freedoms and more creative. For themselves uh however we all know the reasoning why sad corbin happened and why a lot of things with corbin has happened is just because it was all punishment from vince uh you know making him wrestle without a shirt because he was a little flabby a lot of this stuff's been well documented with corbin's changes over the last couple years within wwe uh, so maybe it's going to be a new day for him as well now that Triple H is in control of creative. Maybe. I, I, You know me, I always like to go forward. I don't like to go backwards through gimmicks. So I'm not saying the name Baron couldn't come back. But 
I would like to see Corbin move forward. Get beyond the happy yeah. gimmick, certainly. But move forward with something else. Become a little more... You know, I, he's really good at the sort of... He, despite him actually being a pretty big guy, he's really good at being the chicken shit heel. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much you're going to move forward into him being a badass again. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I certainly want him to get away a little more from that. Just the, the gimmicky character and go more more for a, a different kind of heel. We'll see what happens there. Um, up next, number five, our next SummerSlam loser, AEW and Tony Khan. We, did, we were just talking about tribalism. I said a rising tide raises all ships. How are they losers here? So, what I mean by losers, and I don't mean AEW's done for. I don't mean that nobody's going to care about AEW anymore. But what I do mean going forward, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not this week, but a lot of the dirt sheets and a lot of uh, other YouTube content that's made about professional wrestling every week, myself personally, I'm a huge fan of WrestleTalk. They didn't really focus a whole lot on AEW this week. Yeah. Saturday night, you had Battle of the Belts 3. Um, maybe because you didn't have an FTR on there. It wasn't really talked about a whole lot. I couldn't find a review for it to save my life. I uh, couldn't find a review for Rampage to save my life. It was hard to find much about Dynamite. Fortunately, I only missed the first hour of it due to the craziness that's been my life this week. Uh, so I think when certain things are outshining AEW, like currently WWE is, it's not going to be all roses and rainbows pressed for them, and it's going to maybe making them a winner in the future, forcing them to actually go head-to-head against WWE and make that push to, uh, you know, competition's going to create cash for everybody, right? So right now you have AEW coming off of what critically was the four best pay-per-view run in a row for any company in the last few years against a new guard of SummerSlam that actually rivaled, in my opinion, any AEW pay-per-view from the last year. So what I meant by them losers coming out is the fact that that streak of them having the best pay-per-views and Tony Khan being the innovator of pro wrestling and all this stuff that you hear everybody brag on and on about came to an end. Now how they're going to persevere and push forward in the future, it's going to make it really interesting. Yeah, I I think um, you're right. A lot of the news has been very WWE-focused. This show that we're doing, and and we haven't been – talking about a whole lot so there's a whole lot of wwe news for us to catch up on but you know we're not having a whole lot of aw talk in this show uh so they're kind of not as visible right now but i do think long term this is good for everyone like you know and i think you you mentioned that too um the more people are watching wrestling the more the more wrestling as a whole is just going to go up and get better all right our next winner coming out of SummerSlam, wrestling history. What do you mean by this one? So during the SummerSlam broadcast, they made mention to the Hardy Boys. They made mention to the damn Hardy Boys during a match where it used to be where if wrestlers that Vince McMahon saw were his creations were no longer with the company, they were dead to him. You didn't talk about that, right? You had the... Uh, 
history of the United States Championship on full display. Even showing the NWA United States Championship belt. You had mentions the big boss man slide. There were a lot of things that used to be big taboos and big no-nos being discussed by WWE. It was absolutely beautiful how they weren't handcuffed to just talk about WWE's history. If there is something in WWE that is now a mainstay in WWE, they weren't afraid to talk about things that they did prior to coming into WWE. We're seeing a lot of amazing stuff that is good for the preservation of wrestling history. I uh, I won't disagree with any of that. Wrestling history, I that's what got me back into WWE into wrestling as a whole was I I lapsed as a fan. And I didn't start watching again until the Pump Pipe Bomb promo in Vegas promo in Vegas in 2011. I, I heard about that. I'm like, what's going on here? And it got such a buzz and I came back. And I started watching wrestling again here and there and more and more and more. I'm getting to know, okay, all these different wrestlers that I didn't really know all that well. And But another thing I started doing was there was a show called Legends of Wrestling that the WWE produced for their 24-7 on-demand network at the time. And every episode, by the way, is on Peacock or the network right now. And it's great. It's just a round table, and there's a subject, and they just riff and tell stories. And it, it goes a lot into the history of wrestling. I started learning about the history then, and I went back and I started learning more about myself and watching more. And, of course, the network was a huge boon to that with all the uh, – with all the video libraries that WWE owns and was able to put on the network. And so I was able to go back and watch stuff. Um, and will be really helpful, by the way, for the next card we do next week. But uh, I agree. Uh, yeah, wrestling history means a lot to me, and it, I, think, I think it was a win, too. All right, the next loser here uh, coming out of SummerSlam was, quote, sports entertainment. Uh, what do you? I think I know what you mean by this one. I kind of disagree, but the, go ahead and tell me what you what what you mean by this. Well, going forward, we're gonna see what you think after I change your mind. Coming out of SummerSlam, it seemed like the term sports entertainment was dead. We, like we mentioned earlier, Vince's book of forbidden words seems to be gone. They're actually acknowledging professional wrestling again. This week on Raw and SmackDown, there's a lot less talk and a whole lot more action. Wrestling was the focal point of the two main shows for WWE. The having to sit back and actually cut like long in-depth promos, that's still a place needed for that. We saw that with the main event of SmackDown this week being promos cut by not only Roman Reigns, you got to let Drew McIntyre say his piece, ultimately interrupted by wrestling in a way, violent breakup, I guess you could say. Um, but just, I, I feel like the loser coming out of this is sports entertainment as entertainment's just going to be promos and we're not going to focus as much on in-ring action. And I think those days are fortunately gone. I think, look, sports entertainment was a term coined by Vince 
just to try and appeal to a broader base of advertisers and to try to make the WWF slash WWE a more marketable product Um, because wrestling has always had a stigma to it. Um, And, of course, it's become this point of contention among fandom, wrestling versus sports entertainment because Vince made this divide so fans went and ran with it. No, I love wrestling. And sports entertainment is is too goofy and over the top. And But you, we also have to deal with the fact that kayfabe is, for all intents and purposes, dead in the modern age. We don't have to, you know... Fake isn't a bad word anymore. Um... And some people will still get offended by it, but it's, you know, wrestling is fake. And it's okay to say that even these days. It's, in fact, it's kind of okay to go out and have a match, and especially at some of these indie shows. And I don't like it. Uh, personally, it's not my style of wrestling, but it's, it's big these days where, you know, someone's basically not making fun of wrestling, but they're basically within the context of the story of the match openly admitting that wrestling's kind of is a show and they're putting on a show and you know wrestlers like orange cassidy have done that and you know i you know and that's why i'm not a big fan of that Danhausen, things like that where it's where they're very much displayed open hey this is just a show we're putting on a show we're hoping to entertain you as opposed to a wrestling contest that that's kind of dead and there's not really any way to get back to old school wrestling um, because it's really difficult, especially when you have a three-hour show, to convince someone that this is all real. And so you have to have more entertainment and showy spots and to try and keep keep people uh, entertained through three hours and keep their attention uh, in the modern ADHD era. So, sports entertainment is always going to be a part of wrestling. It is wrestling. It, it is modern-day wrestling. So, But I hear what you're saying as well. The term might start to die out a little bit more. but Because especially, I think, wrestling as a whole has lost a lot of its stigma. So you don't need to rebrand it as something else. Um, which was the idea that, you know... Vince had originally it was more about branding and I mean we got rest holds back brother we got rest holds back rest holds back rest holds were never a thing rest holds are a fan invention but that's a different story (laughs) people people would take take a hold and they're selling spots and they're they're figuring out what they're doing later in the match and and people who didn't know any better would, oh, they're they're resting. They're taking a moment. One of them's blown up, and they're they're going into a rest hold. And not to say that that, that didn't sometimes happen, but it didn't even have a name for it. Um, at least this is this is all according to what Cornette has said on his podcast. But um, well, with that being said, I'm just going to curse you for bringing up Orange Cassidy and refusing to see the genius that is the Crush Man. But whatever. Look, you, you know, know and, and look, that's. It's not my thing. I don't like that in my professional wrestling. But that proves my point. That's sports entertainment. But 
we live in a world where wrestling is openly entertainment. So even though I don't like it, that kind of stuff can sometimes get over. Look at the freaking, uh, you know, we're, you know, we had wrestlers uh, uh, selling for a dick claw a few years ago, right? So it was a dick suplex. A, a dick suplex, excuse me. A so, dick suplex for short. Yeah, and that's absolutely over the top, ridiculous. But it sold out some bingo halls and got a got a you know it sold out some it was it was a big thing on the independence for a little while that move yeah you had a legend like thunder juice and liger lead a train of dudes with thumbs up each other's asses around the ring and then butt pucker flipping them i i don't know how you want to call it that but Whatever. Subjectiveness, brother. Subjectiveness. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on to our top winner uh, coming out of SummerSlam, WWE merchandise sales. Tell me your reasoning for this. There, all right, for selfish reasons, I think in like the last five years, WWE has released one shirt that I saw, and I've just been like, I got to buy it. And that's just the RK Bro 420 says, I just smoked your ass shirt because that's ironically hilarious given the drug procedures that were allegedly in place backstage in WWE. But my God, so SummerSlam, every new shirt that they shoot, that they showed on TV, I was talking to Bobby about doing a live stream. Like, damn, I want to buy that. The Los Mysterios shirt that was a tribute to the LWO. old Latino Heat, Eddie Greer, with them both wearing the LWO shirts. The damn Edge Return shirt that looks like something from the Blackcraft Cult days. Just everything they came out with looked absolutely incredible. I don't know if they have somebody new on the merchandise side. I don't know if with Vince McMahon's input being gone from the merchandise sales. It well, it usually wasn't, rain. from what I understand, it usually wasn't Vince didn't really have a whole lot to do with merch. It was it was the wrestler would you know, throw out some ideas and they'd put ideas together, you know, the merchandising department. Um, and you know, the wrestler was the one that would go, yeah, I like that. No, that let's fix that a little bit here. And obviously it all had to go through channels and be approved, but certainly you're, you saw a shift even before Vince left with the 420 shirt. Um, on the other hand, our experience at raw a few weeks ago, <laughs> go ahead and go into that. Let's talk about what bullshit shysters WWE's shop department is now all right so emily arena here in tampa great building great arena and there's and getting up to it it's called thunder rally you know with the tampa bay lighting it's a great little spot that like kind of you know a common area where everyone's you know milling about until you're able to go into the thing and there's usually shops everywhere and vendors and all this stuff and the wwe would always have their merch truck out here and it's not even you know anyone could walk up to it because thunder alley is open to the public you don't have to have a ticket to be in thunder alley so you didn't even have to have a ticket to the show to buy wwe merch from their truck that was sitting here that would, and that's where i got my cm punk shirts back today and all this that truck was gone it wasn't there at all which made no sense to me so I figured, well, maybe there's something in the building somewhere. We couldn't find any sort of merch stand at all, at least from the where we entered the building around to where our seats were. There was nothing. 
it was all about the only way we could figure out to buy merch was to do it online and then you'd have to go and pick it up which yeah, so basically it was a qr code that would appear yeah. on the drumbotron that you had to be fast enough getting your phone out of the pocket to capture the qr code i don't know if that has anything to do with it now being a uh, fanatics experience or whatever the hell they're going with of saying fanatics yeah. now runs wwe shop but uh it, it seemed very ass backwards and counterproductive for trying to get those merchandise sales. Yeah, like like you would like you were you wanted to get the four twenty shirt, yeah. and we couldn't find a place to buy one. I mean, shit, we were even talking about getting the Austin, the Stone Cold Tampa three sixteen yeah. shirts or something. And, and we saw time, plenty of people with them. We just yeah. we couldn't figure out where they were getting them from. And the other thing that's such a downside to it is by the time you're actually able to capture the QR code on your phone, it seemed like all they had left was small and medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was, that was, I don't know, a clusterfuck in itself. But I agree with you specifically on the designs. They all looked really cool. Edge's shirt looked awesome. I loved, of course, the LWO throwback. All right, and we'll move on to our... Next, our top spot here on the card, the next loser coming out of SummerSlam, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Tell me your reasoning for this. So, all things aside, let's look past the Wall Street Journal articles. Let's look back what scumbag. Let's look past what scumbag he is. From SummerSlam through Friday at SmackDown. It has shown everybody in the wrestling world what a hindrance Vince McMahon's ideas and creative has been to WWE. When was the last time a Vince McMahon creation created buzz? I mean, we can say for a fact Vince McMahon ideas have hurt people. Perfect example with Kyrian Cross coming back. They put him in goddamn bondage gear and tried to get him over without his heater, who is his wife. Odd fucking flex, but okay, bro. Then again, you can't really say anything much more about that because it's the guy who created the Kiss My Ass Club. Uh, but for a pay-per-view event, things that don't make sense. You had The Fiend, who's on a heater. The dude was unstoppable. And then you had a match get thrown out by no contest. Vince McMahon idea against Seth Rollins where they just threw a bunch of chairs and toolboxes and shown the fiend. Made a Hell in a Cell match of no contest. Things like that were, in my opinion, a part of the reason why WWE was very unwatchable. And now that we're seeing what the world looks like without Vince McMahon influence, again, this could be allegedly without influence, although it does feel a lot different than what it ever has. I'm excited for WWE again. You and me have talked great lengths off air about just wrestling in general kind of feeling stale, and it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ, we got to sit through this so we can do a show on Sunday. But now, I that feeling for me is completely dissipated. I'm excited for Sunday. I'm excited for Friday. Hell, I'm even watching NXT again, which I haven't watched since Triple H left. I'm excited for Clash at the Castle, which I had openly mocked on past shows. 
there is a rejuvenation for the product, and it's because Vince McMahon is gone. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I I think uh, I think we'll have to talk a little bit about Vince McMahon's legacy. And I think coming out of SummerSlam and certainly the show since, uh, his creative genius um, hasn't quite been there for a little while. I, I still think he probably was good at. And people would still talk about this, how they would come up with an idea for a story and they were moving along. And Vince would find this one little thing and tweak it. And it would go from a good story to a great story. And he didn't seem to ever lose that. But some of the things that were his ideas, and like you said, the bondage thing with with Cross and and you know the way you, he would completely repackage you know, people that had been stars in NXT and really made a name for themselves, and now they're coming up, you know, even if they're not changing names, they're completely changing gimmicks and trying to do something that they weren't doing before, which just never made any sense. And not that they hadn't done that before here and there, even 20, 30 years ago, but it just... It had gotten to a level where none of it was any good. And, it, you know, I think now that we can see, even in such a short time after he's been gone, how things have been changed for the better creatively, um, just from a character perspective uh, with some of the wrestlers, that, you know, it, you can say it tarnishes his legacy a little bit. Obviously, Vince McMahon is Vince McMahon. He did what he did for wrestling and made it a phenomenon, made it a thing that, you know, has made the WWE a thing that is getting billions of dollars in TV deals. But from the minutiae, from the on-TV creative perspective, he had lost it many years ago. And I think that's gotten pretty obvious here. Made it even more obvious coming out of SummerSlam. All right, that'll do it for our first uh, episode of the card here on the Buckle Bomb Show. Uh, we will get back to Bomb Media Productions, but see, or we'll get back to uh, the regular show here in just a moment. All right, that was fun. That was absolutely. Fun. It was nice new segment. Um, I didn't mention there, but for next week, um, I want you, and I'm going to tease this here, and I haven't talked to Tony about this at all. Um. But come up with your top five just wrestling matches of all time that you love. doesn't have to be what you think are the best of all time, but just your top five, and I'll come up with my top five, and that'll be next week's card. And we'll, we'll throw – give me your top five, and I'll – we'll go back and forth, and we can talk about this after the show a little bit more in depth. But um, that'll be next week's show. It'll be uh, our top ten matches, my five and his five. All right. Uh, we'll move on to the next subject, which is just our quick jabs to the face. Now, I don't have a whole lot of specific stuff to talk about here. Me and Tony are just going to fly through a couple of things we wanted to talk about. Um, uh, was there anything? I know you didn't you want to talk about something on AEW TV? And... Uh, two things I wanted to bring up. Uh, first and foremost, we would be extremely remiss 
if we got this episode coming off the heels of Ric Flair's last match. Yes. Yes. Um, what'd you think of, well, first off, what'd you think of the pay-per-view as a whole? Pay-per-view as a whole, actually, I really enjoyed it. It introduced me to a few names I wasn't really familiar with. Yeah. Um, There's actually a spot during the Buckhouse Stampede Battle Royale where all the GCW wrestlers ganged up yeah, and I beat the that. shit out of Bully Ray. Yeah. Uh, the winner of that ended up being Mance Warner, who was mm-hmm. a huge name on the indie circuit. He actually just wrestled John Moxley at Rampage for the interim championship Friday night. Yeah. Uh, he had a really great showing against Moxley during that match. Um, the next match that stood out to me was... Uh, oh, jeez. It was the AAA match with... Black Taurus, El Bandito, uh, Laredo Kid, and I want to say there's one more name involved in that, but they still incredible match. Just wow. Um, you had Allen Five Angels coming in as an impact contracted wrestler and just stealing the show for himself. He legitimately was such a uh, just non-factor when he was in the dark order in AEW. I mean, granted, you know, he had his purpose every week if you kept up with being the elite. But now that he's on his own, and they still said that he's representing the dark order, which was pretty cool. But as a standalone talent, you got to see him for what he is, and it was just a great match. Um, there is one thing, though that I have to bitch about before we get into the main event. And that was the ending of Josh Alexander versus Jonathan Fatu. What the cinnamon toast fuck were they thinking about that? I I saw the bunkhouse brawl. I didn't see a lot of the matches in between until the main event. So I don't know the ending to the match. So this was MLW's Top star, Jonathan Fatu, obviously a member of the One NY of the, family, yeah. um, against Josh Alexander. What can you say about the dude? He's one of the top guys in professional wrestling right now. Um, my opinion, he was personally held back by Ethan Page and they're the North tag team. Uh, that kind of ran its course originally as a jokey gimmick of them both being Canadian and turned into something way too serious. Um but he's now currently Impact's heavyweight champion, and it was a match for the Impact Championship that was thrown out due to interference, and then in for the save comes Diamond Dallas Page, which I did see that. Yeah, don't don't have an issue with DDP coming in for the save. DDP Yoga's doing the man good. He threw that cutter like a son of a bitch, but. It didn't do Jonathan Fatu a lick of fucking good. No. Which, if, if it, this was an impact-only card, I could understand throwing Fatu under the bus like that. It's fine, but this is a show that's going to get a lot more, a lot more views and a lot more eyeballs than than just an impact show. And you really want to push Fatu over? Even just sure. an, even just an MLW show. I mean, I know that they have vision on uh, Vice, but. Do you know what channel Vice is on your receiver? No. I sure as fuck. No. I didn't even know Vice was on cable. I thought it was just like an internet. <laughs> like a so, streaming channel. All right. 
So it, unfortunate how that happened because honestly, I think Fat Two is one of the more talented Rockkins, I guess you could say. Call them rock formations for now on. Uh, and he's obviously one of the more talented ones. He's one of the more honest ones. Uh, so for him to get screwed over like that did nobody any good. Uh, but going into one of the weirdest spectacles I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Um, yeah. Jeff looked fan-fucking-tastic. Dude. Jeff looks like he could still go on the main roster of WWE today. Like, like God he, damn. He, when he first showed up back up on WWE TV a couple of years ago, uh, you know, he looked a little pudgy and like, all right, well, you know, he's he's retired now and he's not really in the ring all that much and whatever. He's, he's still Jeff Jarrett. Man, has he gotten himself back into shape. He, he almost looked like he could go in a, another IC title run. In 98, well, the, like... The, the crazy thing about it is I watched his GCW match against Effie. Uh, he wrestled with this weird black sleeveless shirt thing on that was underneath the duster and cowboy hat and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but even during the GCW match, you could tell he was trying to get into shape because his arm mass just increased so much. It was crazy. Now I'm expecting him not to even, you know, we see him the night before referee in SummerSlam. You could tell he's in better shape, but you also had to keep in mind, like Conrad liked to remind him, he's Devil Nichols, on. He's 55. Yeah. I don't know too many 55-year-olds taking off their shirt and looking that damn good. Right. Like, so you could tell, like, he's definitely been working. Maybe there might be more in-ring shit for him in the future, especially with, you know... Vince no longer running the show. Maybe we'll let him take more independent booking dates. Uh, there's a lot of rumor and speculation about that right now, as it would turn out. Um, but even in terms of guys who were looking good, Andrade came out of that looking great. Uh, Lethal looked good. The, the biggest shock of all is, you know, you're getting ready. There's the lead up to the match you have. Cody Rhodes sending in videos. Yeah. Uh, Nick Nick Nemeth, not Dolph Ziggler, Nick Nemeth sending in a video. Uh, Josh, who was the other video that came in that was shocking? Off the top of my head, I can't think of who it was, but it was somebody else who was in WWE. But then they cut there to a several. backstage. Yeah. But then they cut to a backstage segment where they're trying to get word with Jeff ahead of his match and he's in the locker room and you open up the door and there's Jerry Jarrett. Oh my God. And then they said a name and I thought it was a mistake like Freudian slip. But then he said Jerry Lawler again and backstage in the locker room with Jeff Jarrett appearing on this event is goddamn Jerry Lawler. Why wouldn't there be? You're in Tennessee. <laughs> You've got your, he's there with Jerry Jarrett. It's a Memphis reunion. Why not? WWE contract appearing on the show itself, which gave me hope for something that was the most comical letdown that happened during the main event, which I will get to. You come out of that segment in the locker room, and then you show at ringside there, you got uh, Undertaker and Mick Foley. The first time in 30-some years you see The Undertaker at an event that's not WWE. Uh I'm so happy the Undertaker's retired because you know he looked good, but 
Undertaker also looked his age. Yeah. Uh, you know, a sign of things that were to come with this main event. You know, it started off. Uh, they did an amazing job building this. Yeah, you they sure talk, did. They used the podcast and this mini doc as a catalyst to kind of build it up. Um, they did a really good job at the beginning of the match. Rick's old. He looks old. You can't hide that he's old. So you have Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett trying to go after Rick, and then you have Andrade standing in between everybody as the heater, like, fuck you, you got to get through me to get to him, and which played into the story of Jeff calling Andrade a Mexican curtain jerker, and the only reason why he has a job is because he's banging Ric Flair's daughter, da-da-da-da-da. So it actually made you feel like there was kayfabe involved in this, and that maybe Jeff and Rick had legitimate heat. They, no, went they back sold to, it. It was really good, yeah. I mean, they went back as far as the Four Horsemen and uh, Jay Lethal and TNA. Like, it, it was a combination of 30-plus years of history between the Jarrett's and Ric Flair that actually sold this story, and it was incredible. And then the match started. And Ric Flair... Tried to do too much. It could have been better if if he had been more willing to sit back and then just do his spots and pick his spots here and there. He tried to he tried to be old Ric Flair, like even two thousand five Ric Flair, and he just can't do that anymore. And 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 you know Jared and Andrade and and lethal went along with it maybe they shouldn't have apparently the only one that told him fuck no what the fuck are you doing was charlotte because i guess at one point he wanted to do a dive off the top onto all the it's like jesus which Uh, gets brought up of the other person i was forgetting who sent the video package in was sting uh allegedly off of rick seeing sting all of a sudden yeah wanting to do suicide dives off of everything in aew (laughs) But, uh, you know, you got the bloody Ric Flair spot. Uh, Ric Flair come, came out oh, on that infamous... Of course infamous, he's going to gig, yeah. Ric Flair came out on that infamous white and purple robe uh, with the original OG big gold belt underneath. Yep. My favorite to belt. To this day, yep. they never said where they found it. Allegedly, Scott Steiner stole it in his last night in WWE. It's never been seen from since. Now it's not Ric Flair has the damn thing. Um but there was a spot that popped the hell out of me when I realized what they were doing. It was right after Flair got cut open, and they had a blonde reach over and grab a hold of Karen Jarrett and started like kind of ragdoll on her face on the guardrail. And the way it was shot, you thought it was Charlotte Flair. But then you realized it was the other player daughter the one that's married to conrad which i've never Megan, seen her yeah. before but she, she's pretty spot on for charlotte flair and kudos to conrad because goddamn brother <laughs> um yeah it was it was at times hard to watch and awkward and obviously but you know what and especially watching it from home apparently in the building it was it was fantastic but, uh, you know, watching you from home, you don't have the energy of the crowd around you. And it just, you know, seeing Ric Flair barely be able to move 
as parts of the match and you know not even really able to get the figure four on there at the end they just have to count them down rather than get them tapped but it is what it, it it was what it was he survived thank god and i we talked about it on the show way back when the rumblings of this show happening that you know i wouldn't put together this show it's too big of a risk but it worked it was big it was a big deal um it was successful and you know at at the end of the day that's what mattered and it was really successful and i think that i think overall it was a really good show Um, absolutely now there is something that i would like to bring up that happened at the end we talked about during the live stream you know with my grandfather introducing me to professional wrestling i knew it was going to get emotional for me yeah Fortunately for us, Ric Flair is still fucking Ric Flair. And just when you think you're going to get emotional about something, he will come out and say the most stupid, incriminating goddamn thing that he could ever possibly say. Everything you heard about me is true. Yeah. I'm getting drunk with Kid Rock tonight and walks off without the belt. <laughs> the train has left the station. The lights are we're on. Well, Nobody that's, that's classic Ric Flair, though. That's classic, you know, Ric Flair, you know, uh, you know, going to Space Mountain Ric Flair right there. That's, no. that's, that's fine. I love that, actually. And apparently, he really did go and party with Kid Rock that night. Oh, yeah. So. I saw the pictures. Those were beautiful. Those are going to get hung up at the goddamn Smithsonian. But the next day, though, the side-by-side came out. Tony Schiavone's first backstage interview notoriously was Ric Flair. And it was a picture of that next to Ric Flair's last post-match interview ever with Tony Schiavone yeah. again. Yeah, that, that was, was a, a really touching and beautiful thing. Absolutely. All right, uh, we'll move on from Ric Flair's last match. Um, uh, we'll move over to Ring of Honor. And we've had, obviously, there has been some stuff in the news about uh, Jonathan Gresham and his relationship to Tony Khan. Um, which seemed to lead into the Ring of Honor show recently um, where Claudio Castagnoli won the Ring of Honor championship from Gresham. Uh, What do you think of all this news about their relationship and of Claudio uh, winning the ROH title? First off, big congratulations to Claudio. Uh, if you know anything about his time previously in Ring of Honor, that just kind of seemed like the one championship that kind of always slipped through his fingers. Um, but yeah, the whole Jonathan Gresham thing seems more and more like this isn't a rarity. And maybe uh, some of the luster is finally starting to fade away from what is Tony Khan running things. Uh Allegedly, it was either Jonathan Gresham wasn't happy with the amount of TV time he was given or he wasn't happy with the direction of Ring of Honor. It, the, the reports, to my knowledge, are still very conflicting about what actually happened. One thing that was confirmed is that there was a very heated confrontation backstage between Tony Khan and Jonathan Gresham, which, if it was heated on both sides, like they're saying, hats off to Tony Khan because that is a tiny man. And despite the fact Jonathan Gresham probably not being much taller than him, that boy has some muscle yeah. mass, man. Like, I've seen videos of Jonathan Gresham working out. He outlifts me. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. But he uh, allegedly threw the ring of our title at Tony Khan. Wanted out of his contract. Tony Khan honored that. 
we'll see what happens. You know, originally, the first bit of speculation everybody has, uh, he's going to join Impact to be with his wife, Jordan Grace. They're on the road together that way. Kind of seemed like it would be a really cool prospect to have him in ROH, especially with the Honor No More stable that is strictly on ROH television right now. Uh, but yeah, just what the hell is going on in AEW? This is a common recurring theme. Uh, you had this with Marco Stunt. You had this with Joey Janela. Uh, you have on Twitter Brian Cage constantly bitching. And Brian Cage could be a big name because he has that look of being a powerhouse monster. You have Sonny Kiss talking about being pissed off about it. There is a lot of the AEW ROH roster that apparently had the same sentiment that Jonathan Greshman has. Well, and yeah, but at the same time, like we were talking about with Vince earlier and some of the things that would people would talk about with him in, in shoot interviews, some of these people are might be a little disgruntled because, you know, their contracts are getting renewed here or there, this or that. And when it comes to business, and especially a creative business like wrestling, feathers are going to get ruffled, there are going to be disagreements, and some people are going to take things more personally than maybe they should. So it's not surprising to me that stories are coming out and that people aren't getting along. That's going to happen. So whether or not it becomes a pattern that affects the business is another thing, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, as far as Claudio making his... Uh, we didn't even talk about the fact that he's a part of the Blackpool Combat Club, which is awesome. And, of course, him being Ring of Honor champion is certainly... Uh, very fun and excited to see that. Um, I don't know if there's anything. Actually, Go ahead. With that, I don't know if you listened to the sessions with Renee Paquette, uh, but they had Daniel Bryan on while everyone was in Nashville for SummerSlam weekend during StarCast, and they actually went into that um, when they knew that he was going down. He asked Tony, he was like, hey, he's like, Claudio is free now. He's not under his claws anymore. Maybe we can get him to come in and do like a surprise thing. And Tony Khan told Daniel Bryanson or Brian Danielson, whatever you want to call him, I, I still get it confused. Sue me. Um, that they don't think he was going to get, they were going to be able to get him for a guest spot, but he did just sign him to a long term contract and was already planning on bringing him in as a part of Blackpool Combat Club. So for everything that I just bashed Tony Khan on, I will give him that he is smart that when he sees a talent that has a lot of upside potential, he grabs them. True. All right. Uh, there's only one other thing I wanted to talk about here, and it's this little thing that I came across last night. Um, and I don't know if you realize this. I found it just a little interesting, kind of odd. Um, Kevin Owens, in July 23rd of 2017, he won the U.S. title. Mm -hmm. Two days later, July 25th, 2017, so a little over, we just passed the five-year anniversary, he lost the U.S. title. He has not held any title since. So we're now over five years. Kevin Owens has not held any titles. Which, which is just an oh, interesting fact. Yeah. The I mean, I would argue main eventing night one of WrestleMania against Stone Cold Steve Austin is bigger than just about any title. Listen, I would sell my <laughs> professional wrestling career. 
if it meant that I got to have one match, which was critically acclaimed, by the way. Like, not yeah. a single person had a bad thing to say. And it gave us the magical moment of Pat McAfee on the outside drinking the beer when he was supposed to be passed out. Yeah. I would sell well, my that was, no, that was, that was career. That was not that night, but yeah. I thought that was the end. That was part of the McAfee match. That was theory, yes. Yeah, McAfee right. theory. But, uh, yeah. No, it's it, still, you're right. You had, you had Austin in the ring one-on-one, his last match. I mean, dude. First off, that's an honor for so many reasons. That means Austin trusts you enough to take care of him in the ring. A big deal with getting these veterans, these legends, out of retirement for one last match is because you have to have a rapport with your dance partner. You got to trust that person to move mm-hmm. left when you move left. So for Austin to give Owens that kind of rub, right? In my opinion, means more than any championship. Well, and and one thing here, like it's been five five years since he's held a belt, but you know I, I don't think that's necessarily reflective of what WWE thinks of him. I think it's kind of the other way around. I think it's like, oh, this guy doesn't need a belt. To put him over this guy's because he's still been at the top of the card for the most part and against the Steve Austin, of course, and he's always featured on the show. He's, you know, but there you could argue maybe he should have had a title. Maybe he should have been in a world title mix or at least, you know, U.S. champion a couple more times or whatever. But, you know, there are certain guys sometimes they don't need belts. He's a personality. He's a character that's hot. If you want have him as a baby face, people love him. He's a great heel, a fantastic heel. You know, you don't need a belt on him. He could. He's like a Roddy Piper almost in that way. Piper rarely held a belt in the WWF. He didn't need one. He was never a world champion for a reason. He didn't need one. He was the biggest shit talker in the WWF, the biggest heel there could ever be. Why does he need a belt to put him over? He's already over. He's already got the heat. So now, I think I think I'm not saying Kevin Owens is Roddy Piper good, but I think that's his role. He doesn't necessarily need a belt. I could make an argument for Kevin Owens being Piper good. I really yeah. think you could. Um, yeah, you can make. However, an though, sitting here thinking about it, the other side of the token, the more grim reality of things that we have to take in consideration. Uh, In those last five years, how much has Owens appeared on television versus time being out with injury? We know that he is one of those guys, unfortunately, that is plagued with the injury bug more than most. Yeah, for sure. Which is a shame because, to me, Owens still holds a special spot in my heart as Kevin Steen back in his Ring of Honor days. That's why I popped like a motherfucker when I saw his new shirt had a panda on it. Like, but unfortunately, man, it happens. Like, Kevin Owens, if I'm not mistaken, he's in his 40s. He's not exactly there, there. A, not exactly right a spring around chicken 40, anymore. Yeah. yeah, true. All right, I just thought that was an interesting little snippet of information there that we could talk about. Anything else you want to talk about here in Quick Jabs? Yeah, actually, we haven't talked about this yet on here. And I feel like this needs to be brought up. It's no secret that Bobby and myself have a certain kind of appreciation for tag team wrestling. Maybe a certain kind of appreciation that a former owner of a wrestling company didn't have. 
But if you can literally sit here, and I challenge anybody this, if you can literally sit face-to-face with me and have a conversation and think that you're right, that tag team wrestling doesn't have a place in the world, then you have not seen a goddamn FTR match in, like, the last, I don't know, year and a half. What the hell? Death Before Dishonor. Ring of Honor's pay-per-view. You have FTR coming in. Winner-take-all match. Somehow, better than the last time they faced off. Which is, yeah, which is mind-blowing. And somehow, the best goddamn wrestling match of 2022 thus far. How do you have the same partner so many times and outdo yourself when you think that you've hit that ceiling already? FDR is just... Yeah, you could... And let's not... Let's let's give credit where credit's due to the Briscoes as well. The, the, the two teams there, they have such chemistry. You could make the argument that both matches, you, you know, one of them, wherever you want to put them, one's match of the year and one's the number two. Like, you could certainly make that so. argument. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm right there with you, brother. Tag team wrestling is GOAT for sure. And anyone and who thinks had- differently is just, they, they, they've watched too much WWE. We had that whole Forbidden Door thing where literally you and me were talking during Forbidden Door where uh, Dax had to leave because he had the shoulder thing going on. Literally talk about take your breath away moment when one of the guys that may not just be a part of the best tag team in the world, but maybe potentially the best wrestler in the world, top five at least. Mm Mm-hmm. Walks away with like what appeared to be a legitimate injury, and you're like, "Oh fuck!" Like this amazing run they're on's over, and then he comes back, finishes the match. Now, of course, he's a little bit more delicate with the shoulder. Uh, allegedly, it was a partially torn labrum. They were saying, but you want the definition of the old school Smash Mouth wrestling? There it is in FTR. Yeah, which. Leading into something else that I should have brought up during Ric Flair's final match, which is something that I talked to you about. I think a really good foil for FTR, saying how they pride themselves on being the last incarnation of old school tag team wrestling. The team that needs to come in and try and be that foil for FTR is the Four Horsemen. And I'm not talking Ric Flair, Arn Tolley, and all that. Ric Flair's final match, we had a new version of the Four Horsemen being led by Arn Anderson. And that was Brian Pillman Jr. Right. And Brock Anderson. Brock Anderson on TV in AEW never appears to have any sort of personality, doesn't really talk. And Brian Pillman Jr., you know, he's doing his varsity blonde thing. He had that cool little run where he had his issues with the House of Black. But I don't know what the hell is going on with this varsity blonde thing. It's not working for him. It's not working for Griff Garrison. Well, but you, you know, they're still young and they, they've got some time. Um, I think they're still learning the biz. Uh, if they were to get built up to a point where you can put them in a match with FTR, my goodness, yeah, that you can see some stuff there. Them and and the guns as well, I yes, think, are but, very underrated. But, but during Ric Flair's final match in 2022, you had the Four Horsemen reincarnated with sons 
of the original Four Horsemen going against the New Age Rock and Roll Express, which was Ricky Morton and his son. Yeah. And you had the Four Horsemen working heel. And they got X-Pac heat. Like, it was insane. The level of heat that Brock Anderson was drawing. It was like... Man, that's Holy that's shit. that's a match. I'm sorry I didn't see, and I'll have to go back and watch too. Especially now that you're Absolutely. talking it up, because uh, man, Brock Ricky shine. Morton's his age, but Hillman shine. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, all right, gotta gotta go back and watch that. All right, that'll do it for the return of the Buckle Bomb Show. We will be back next week on Sunday. No more hiatus. We will be back here every Sunday. Um, any last words, Tony? We're back. We're on the hiatus, but I think it can't be said enough. All the hard work and dedication that you have put into making this possible for us. For that, I cannot thank you enough. This has truly been an amazing opportunity. I love doing the show with you. And uh, I look forward to this being weekly. And with the streaming of us watching the pay-per-views, the live watch songs and everything, thank you for all your hard work and dedication to making the Buckle Bomb Show something that we see it being in the future. I, I appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm just looking forward to continue to talk for wrestling with you. And with everyone else, please comment down below. Let us know what you think about Vince leaving, what you think WWE's future looks like, all that stuff. Let us know. Comment down below. Um, you can see there, we've got a new show coming soon, Qualified Human. It's an in interview show that Tony hosts. We talk to different people. I'm in the middle of editing some of those episodes right now, so keep a lookout on the channel for that. And that'll do it for this episode of the Buckle Bomb Show. We'll see you later. The CD announcement has been paid for by Bomb Media Production.